All right. All right. Who's ready to get into the Word of God? Chris is. <laughs> uh, so, hey, um, this morning we're doing a series, as you probably know, on the meaningful life. And, and who, who knows that life is meant to be meaningful? Life is not meant to be just lived or just survived or just we, we just get through the end of the thing and at the end of it we go, what was all that about? God has cause and wants meaning in life. He wants us to live on purpose. Uh, one of the most famous books ever written on this subject is this one by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. It is one of the most sold books of all time. It has sold over 60 million copies. Who would like to write a book that sells over 60 million copies? And you know what, Rick Warren, not that this has anything to do with anything, he has given all the proceeds away. Uh, But it's interesting that that many people purchase it. But a little side story on this book, several years ago, we made a, a picture of a, of a woman called Ashley Smith. I don't know if you've got that uh, on the screen there, this lady here. Uh, she, several years ago, 2005, I believe, there was a man who was wanted for four murders and she, this man broke into Ashley Smith's apartment and then cap- captured her and kept her captive for over seven hours and threatening her with her life and the police were surrounded the place. And she didn't know what to do. She was actually struggling. She was a widowed single mum. Uh, she was struggling with uh, uh, trying to get off drugs herself, but she just began to read The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, and so she, in, in captivity, read this man, her captor, read him the Scriptures and read him chapter 32 of A Purpose Driven Life, uh, which is all about getting your life activated for God. He let her go. <laughs> he got so convicted that his life was actually not meant to be in, a, in the mess that it was, but actually meant to be of value and service to God that he actually set her free and she got out. And there's a movie made in 2015 called Capt- Captivated. Uh, so, or Captive, I think it may be called. So just a little interesting side story. Our, our lives are meant to be activated. Some amazing things. I love this quote by Thomas Carlyle that says, The man without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder, a waif, a nothing, a no man. Or this great scripture in Proverbs 11.28, the message version says, A life devoted to things is a dead life, a stump. A God-shaped life is a flourishing tree. How's this one? Mark Twain, one of my favorite quotes of all time. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And I think we all, we all celebrate the day we were born. We celebrate our birthdays. But I reckon we should have a find out why you're here day. Yeah. And that day is, is just as important as the day you were born. Why am I here? Yeah. Every one of us are here on this planet for a reason. A God-injected, God-called purpose. And we're all met together to make a difference in God. Anybody believe that this morning? Yeah. You're here, and you may not feel that. You may, not, you may sense, well, I, I don't know, really? Am I, am I part of the plan of God? Yes, you are. How's this quote by Rick Warren? Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. And, and that, sure, your parents conceive you, and none of us like thinking of that issue and, and, and thinking, 
It's a weird thing. It's like, no, don't tell us, don't say that. But here's the deal. God conceived you. He conceived your life. He conceived your future. He, he has put plans and purposes. You know the Scripture, Jeremiah 29, 18. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. God has that. And you might be sitting there today going, well, I don't feel that. Well, maybe today you can begin to believe that and, and walk out the journey. And it's not like God goes, boom, here it is. Here's your life in its totality. Here's the future. Here's the map. Here's the plan. He doesn't do it that way. And I thank God that He doesn't do it that way. Because if He showed you what was coming, you probably wouldn't keep walking. You'd be like, oh, no, it's too big. But God caused us to take little steps towards a big future. And if today is the only thing you do is you take a little step, maybe go to the find you next step. (laughs) The point of the whole next step thing, (coughs) excuse me, is that we would... As a church, like Pat and Amanda, our executive pastor said, is that together we would take a next step because it's together we can have an influence on this city. It's together we can have an impact on this community. It's not just the guys up here or the girls up here. Really, it's about all of us together achieving that and going for that, which is amazing. Okay, all right, I'm gonna start my message now. Is that right? Just I just get warmed up a little bit. But I just, want to, I just want to say that we are called to make a difference and we do it together. Here's a, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, we see a snapshot of God's basic plan for us. I don't know about you, I love snapshots. I love uh, when, when, when someone's talking to me and they're going and they're talking and they're going on and on and on, I, I quickly say to them, guys, give me the gist. Give me the summary. Anybody summary people here? Like, just get to the point. Well, in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, it's like all of God's purpose and universal plan, He summarizes in three verses. And I'm going to give them to you today. Who wants to hear them? All right, it says this. It says uh, in in, uh, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Or the message version, if we can throw that one up. Uh, yeah, there you go. We, we have become His poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny that He has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill. How cool is that? So here we have the summary. What is that summary? Very simply this, that we are saved by grace, not by works. Everybody say, I'm saved by grace. grace. Not by works. works. Now say the word works again, works. Works. By the way, that was a great offering message. That was awesome. What was that word you used again? It was a sterling message. That was awesome. (laughs) Give it up for parenty there. Give it awesome. Well done, man. So we are, we are saved, by, saved by grace, not by works. Most, most, the human frame is always trying to save itself, but God says, no, you're, I save you and I've saved you by grace. You cannot work yourself for your salvation. That's good news. If I stop preaching there, then, then enough will be said. However, the, but wait, there's more. He says then, we are His workmanship. So I'm not saved by works, but we become His workmanship. In other words, He goes to work on us and we become crafted as a hand 
carved piece of God's beautiful artistry, we become part of the workmanship of God. And God is in the process of shaping you and carving you and making you His masterpiece. That's good news. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am God's workmanship. And do it like this. All the, all the scriptures in the Psalms says, I am beautifully and wonderfully made. No, we should have good self-image, but it's a God-determined self-image. It's a God thing. We are His workmanship, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. It goes on and says, for we are His workmanship. Creating Christ Jesus for good works. We're created for good works. We're not saved by works. We're His workmanship, but we, but we are de- designed and created for good works that He has prepared in advance for us to do. So doing the works of God are not for salvation. Doing the works of God... And it's not creating works of God, it's discovering God's works. What, we need to go on a journey of discovery and going, God, what have you prepared for me to do in advance? Because when you step into that, you step into the gold. When you step into that, you step into the life that most people on the earth do not discover, but they're meant to discover. And that I am walking in God's prepared works beforehand. And you live in God's sweet spot at that point. Does that mean life will be easy? No. In fact, it'll probably be even harder. But it's a good hard. It's like, it's because you're fighting the battle of God and you're making a difference on the earth. You're pushing back darkness and bringing in the light of God's glory into the earth. You are, boy, this is, this is exciting, isn't it? Okay, all right. Well, I'm pretty excited. Okay. So what do we need to understand as we engage in this understanding? We, I'm gonna give you two foundational principles. Two things that are imperative as we, as we discover this life that God has destined for us. Number one, and we find it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. It says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Check this out, verse five. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what's the point in there? There's one key word, one. Everybody say one. His first foundational principle, that your gift is discovered in community. That your gift is discovered in the context of a culture of unity. And God is in the process of gathering, but the enemy is in the process of scattering. God God wants us to gather and live in unity with one another. And he gives a few tips in there, basically to walk in, in, in humility and kindness and patience, bearing with one another. I love the fact that it keeps the bar pretty low. It doesn't say get on with everybody with incredible, uh, amazing unit, uh, a sense of oneness. No, he just says, just bear with one another. <laughs> but you, got, you, you, need, you need humility and kindness and patience to do that, which I believe is the character of unity because unity has a character attached to it. And as we walk in that place, in other words, as we work together, as we walk together as a spirit of unity, as we understand that we are under one Lord, under one faith, under one baptism, under one church, under one purpose, under one calling, as we live in that sense of oneness, then in that context of unity, this is interesting, the word community is communi- communal unity, yep. common unity. That's what community is. Yeah. 
as we step together and the enemy is constantly trying to divide and conquer, but God is trying to gather and unify. And, we, and, and unity is work, to stay in unity, in unity of vision, unity of culture, unity of direction. As we step together as this location, as we step into a new day of leadership, let's go in a spirit of unity, amen? Because as we do that, what happens is, in the context of that unity, all the gifts function together properly. Properly. I just combined two words, probably and properly. See what you started? <laughs> so it is, it is the context. Of, and over in verse 15, same chapter, it says, as soon as I find it, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, everybody say the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Every joint supplies, every relationship counts. Every relationship we have. So every joint that I have, my relationship with Bernie, my relationship with Pam, my relationship with Chris, even my relationship with Mixabat is a, is, a, is a major consequence. And it's not like, well, this relationship matters, but this one doesn't. No, every joint supplies. There's something that happens. The joints in our body, of course, the concept of church is not institution. The concept of church is organism. The concept of church is body. And we are part of that body. And as you know, my hand has a function and my hand is not the function of my eye. Imagine if my hand tried to be my eye. <laughs> That would be weird. Uh, but, but the body is joined together by the joints. And in other words, what are the joints? The joints are the pieces of the function of the body. The joints are the relationship. And that, so the context of community, the context of relationship is vital. And it's, watch this, it is through relationship that we equip one another. That's what it says. It is the body is equipped, the minister is equipped through relationship. I can't just be equipped by myself. I can't stand over in the corner here and go, God, equip me, just supernatural. Now, He does all sorts of things in terms of my disciplines and my walk with God and my prayer life, however. But it's through people. Pastor Phil has equipped me. Friends have equipped me. My marriage is equipping me. My, my children are equipping me and, and, and a bunch of other things to me as well. Uh, my, my, there are things that happen in relationship that cannot happen in the absence of relationship, the context of community. So therefore, what's the conclusion? Fight for relationship. Fight for community. Fight for unity. Fight for oneness. Fight for the spirit of that thing because it's super important. Okay, who's with me so far? Anybody? All right. The second major principle. Oh, well, before I get into that, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 7. You can pull that Scripture out real quick. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. It says, it says gifted to give. That's what it says. I'll, go, I'll turn it real quick. 1 Corinthians. It says, verse 4. Uh, now there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Variety of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here's my point here, is that in this context of, of community, it's unity, not uniformity. We're not, we're, not, we're not aiming at uniformity. It's like, yeah, I'm amazing. You be amazing like me. No, no, you be you. You need to discover your unique manifestation of God through you. 
And it is us working together. Remember, it's unity, not uniformity. The groups, clubs in the world become uniform. The church is not a club. The church is a body moving through the earth. And we need to accept one another's individual, unique manifestation. And I want to know what your gift is. I want to know what your calling is. And I want to put fire on the call of God on your particular gift. Amen. The second thing is it's oneness, not sameness. And we don't get unity through sameness. We get, we get unity through oneness. So anyway, that's my first point. Two foundational principles. The second foundational principle is this, is that we need to shift from the pulpit to the pew. We need to understand that the church is not built and the world is not, influ- is not influenced primarily from this platform. The, in- the world is influenced from your chair. The power of the gospel is sitting in your seat. It is not just proclaimed from the pulpit. Of course it's proclaimed from the pulpit. My job and the jobs of other ministers are this. If we read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, sorry, verse 10, He who descended is the one who has ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What is the point here? The point is, that the, those gifts, those gifts aren't things that people receive. No, the gifts are people. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers are gifts that God has anointed and He gives those gifts, gives those gifts to us. Yeah. Pastor Phil is a gift to us. So as, as, and his job, as is many, some of our jobs, is to equip the saints. Yeah. So we're all called to be saints and ministers. Everyone has a call in this house, whoa, who like that recovery, anybody? <laughs> That's what I get when I wear my glasses going down thing. I, it's a bit blurry down there. No, no it's fine. <laughs> Just making a spectacle of myself, so. Three of you got that. That's awesome. Actually, probably all of you got it, but only three laughed. That's even worse. Gerard, you laughed. That's awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. Actually, Brooke laughed too. That's good. So God gifts, those people are gifts to, to equip us as saints. Who are the, all the ministers put their hand up? No, that's everyone. That's not a trick question. <laughs> okay, let me put it this way. Everyone put their hand up. You're all the ministers. Every single person in here is called to be a saint and a minister. And our job from this place is to, is to shift the emphasis to shift the focus from what happens in the pulpit to what happens in the pew. And not just what happens in the pew, what happens from the pew out into the community and out into the city that we live in. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand for that one. That's shift. That's a huge thing. So we need to shift our thinking from attenders to participators, from observers to those engaged. I love the fact that it says grace is given to each one And then later on, as each part does its work, as each part does its work. Imagine the body as this incredible thing where every part of the body is functioning and in its its place and doing its work. In its place and doing its work. I'm telling you, we we would see revival break out over this city and over this community. Often we're waiting for revival to, to come out off the pulpit 
and somehow magically reach the atmosphere out there and do this magical thing. Something, no, no, no. The revival hits as, as the call and the glory of God hit you and you begin to function in your God-given calling and the body begins to function, not just in church, but out there in the marketplace and we become, begin to have an influence and impact out there for God. So good. Okay, how do I discover this light? I've given you two foundational principles, but now how do I find this? We all agree probably with that principle. Number one, find your gift. What is my gift? I'm at this afternoon when we do find you, right, Chris? It's at 11.30. Please, if you don't know your gift, go to that. Go and do this next step. You may be in this church for 20 years, but you, you've, for whatever reason, now you're just sitting there watching church go on. No, we want you to be an active part of the kingdom. Step into your, find your gift, and they're gonna do a personality test, which in my case would be a bit of an issue because I don't have one. Uh, no, just kidding. But, but there's a person, and, and, that's, and that's not the end, that's just the beginning. How are you wired? What is your wiring? What, what, what has God uniquely made you? And, and sure, there are categories. You know, if we, I don't have time, but if we went into Romans 12, verse 6 to 8, it talks about the categories, you know, the category of the mercy person or the leadership person or the generous person. Or the, and we're all meant to function to a, to a measure in all seven of those areas. But you'll find that you fit into one of those seven categories of gifts, that your, your orientation, your leaning is towards a certain thing. Wouldn't it be awesome to find that out? And also find out why when you see someone else function, you go, well, I don't quite see it like that way. And that's okay. Because we all function slightly differently, but to discover who you are, find your gift, go on the journey of taking that next step and finding out what that is. And that's the beginning place. That's number one. Number two, more importantly, and just as important as the first thing, use your gift. It's not just about finding, it's about using it. In Ecclesiastes 9.10, not sure whether they've got that scripture up there. Uh, not sure. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, no, that's not. That next part's really interesting. <laughs> so, so whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. Whatever your hand finds to do. In other words, as you, one of the keys to using your gift, to activating your gift, is basically ask the question, what's in my hand? What what is God what is God made available to me, and of course do it with all your heart. What's in your heart? In the early days of our walk with God, we uh, we started. We've been part of C three now. This Easter will be thirty nine years. Wow! wow. <laughs> yeah. That's. We too were three years of age. We, <laughs> now we've been married. We're a young married couple, married six months. We we walked in and and we discovered. We discovered the house of God. We discovered, uh, we, know, we knew Christ already, but we didn't know what commitment to the local church meant. And so we, we realized that, that as we knew Christ, I, I, what I have discovered over the years is, is to know Christ is to discover eternity, but to be committed and planted in the house of God, you discover destiny. And it is both eternity and destiny that are extremely important. Because prior to that, we had no, no awareness of our gifting. We walked into the local church, 1980, tiny little Catholic school hall in DY, 
with 20 members in the original first C3 church. Wow. Pastor Chris was leading worship up the front. And instantly our hearts knit with the house of God. And we got a revelation at that point that this was home. Because discovering your gift is partly discovering that, that, that you're functioning in home. Functioning in home. And then we went on this journey. Pastor Phil started asking us to do things. We, you know, we straightened chairs for months, and which is awesome. By the way, who loves just doing stuff? Anyone? Because the entry to your gift isn't necessarily doing your gift. The entry to your gift is just serving. Because as you serve, your heart gets connected to the house of God. If I can give you advice, do anything. Bernie and I made a decision that we would ask whatever we were asked. We would do whatever we were asked to do. Now, obviously, we need to, you know, frame that, you know, nothing illegal, immoral, unethical. <laughs> but besides that, if we, hey, can you do this? We, we made a decision 39 years ago. We would say, yes, here am I, send us. Well, here are we, send us. And, and so we just made that decision. Now, sometimes I actually regret saying that, like, why did I say yes? This is hard work. But the thing is, it got us involved and connected. And then eventually things grew. Pastor Phil asked me to lead worship, Danny, at the very first Wednesday night midweek meeting. We said midweek meetings back years ago. And I, was, and, and I said, I can't sing. It doesn't matter. I want you to learn how to worship lead and meet, lead a meeting. And, and I did that night. And it was the worst meeting in Christian history. <laughs> and I said to Pastor Phil afterwards, please. I said, that was pretty bad. He says, yep, that was really bad. <laughs> and I said, please don't ask me to do that again. He says, you're up next week. <laughs> and the next week I did it again. And, he, and that was the second worst meeting in Christian history. <laughs> and eventually I got better. And eventually I became quite a good worship leader. Hey. And I became one of my things. One of my things. But where, where did that come? Did I just suddenly, boom, there it was, ready-made, instant, you know, incredible. No, it was horrible, ugly, slightly less than ugly. And eventually I got better at it. I'm not saying everyone needs to become a worship leader. The point is, what, whatever you, your hand finds to do, it's not glamorous. It's not, and you may not be that good at it, but just... Work at it, get better at it, and that's that's that that opened all sorts of doors. And I've learnt the skill of worship leading, but more importantly, learnt the skill of running meetings and how dynamics. And finally, I teach on that all over the world now. But it began with that one opportunity, 39 years ago. What's in your hand? Then soon after that, Pastor Phil asked us to start one of the very first connect groups. The first three connect groups. 38 years ago. And I remember saying to Bernie and I, we're going to give you, we want you to look after these six people. And I remember Bernie and I thinking, well, one, they're all older than us. Two, they've all got Bible college degrees. So we felt very threatened and nervous. And we said, okay, all right. So we had it in our home and we had six people and we just wrote their names down. We prayed for them every day. We called them every week and just made sure they're in church on the weekend. That's all we did. And, and, and I was nervous. My we had connect group every Wednesday night. My favorite day of the week was Thursday. <laughs> it was the furthest day away from Wednesday. And I fasted every Wednesday. Initially, not on purpose. I was so nervous I couldn't eat. But I thought I might as well spiritualize this process. <laughs> I just want to tell you how normal and, 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 and fearful. I live half my life in anxiety and fear. And I feel totally inadequate. I felt inadequate then, I feel inadequate now. Driving out here, I felt, I've got nothing to say. 
I'm 39 years in. And I'm like, I just want you to know that just take that step and begin to do things. You know, there's six people grew to 10 people, not in weird, like, monster bodies or <laughs> grew to 12 people grew to 15 people grew to 20 people I connect groups and then 20 people I called Pastor Phil and said what do you want me to do now he said start another one I said who with he said someone in the connect group be li- I said no they're all losers <laughs> I, I didn't say that I was just kidding but I couldn't see any leadership in them. And, and he said, read their names out. So I read their names out. They could be a leader. They could be a leader. They could be a leader. Because he began to see what he saw in me. Wow. Is that not only should we f- just take a step ourselves, but help other people to take that step as well. Because then the multiplication thing begins to take place. And that's, trust me, this is where we'll see revival. As we begin to not just be seen and take a step, begin to see others and take let others take that step out there. And look, that connect group multiplied 15 times in the next five years. That one, that one connect group multiplied that many times. You know, I eventually, we eventually became on staff to oversee all the connect groups. The connect groups went from three to 12 and eventually 150 connect groups in a five-year period. The church went from 200 people to 1,200 people in four years as we saw revival hit. Why? Because people were released into their gifting. It's interesting now what we're doing as global architects is we're starting churches and planning and working with people. You know where it started? Running a connect group. The same principles that we're using globally now, I learned everything from running a connect group because it's those little steps, those initial things as you do that and step out, what is God calling you to do right now? Imagine that everyone at Silverwater was activating their gift. I'm telling you, we would have a move of God in their hands. Come on, who's with me, anyone? Activate, activate, activate. Oh my goodness, there's so much I could share, but I've run out of time. But just to say this is that, a couple of bonus points. Just like a couple of bonus points. We are all called to do two things, build the body of Christ and bring the influence of Christ into our community. So your gift is meant to build the body. What team are you called to be part of? It shouldn't be, should I build a team or join a team? It should be, what team should I join? What team, are you gifted in worship? Are you gifted in production? Are you gifted in serving? Whatever, whatever. imagine everyone activated and then you then building teams. That's the number one thing. Number two, we're called to influence our community for Christ. Is your gifting will not only just stay within the borders of this church, your gift will begin to break out into the community. Your, your gifting will express itself in the marketplace. It will express itself in your family, in your connections. And I find that one of the most challenging, but also one of the most exciting things there is. My gift of, my, I'm called to be a pastor and teacher. That's my gifting. But I'm finding I'm using that out in the community. And I don't go out there going, I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher and, and, and set up on the beach, you know, a little pulpit and what have you. No, you change the modality when you go out into the community. So I've joined, I've been part of this training group in Palm Beach for the last almost 20 years. And to be honest with you, it's been super frustrating because I've been praying for these guys for years to influence them in Christ. And for years, no one responded. But now, because you just hang in there long enough, they're starting to respond. Two months ago, a couple came along to church and met Christ and now they're part of the house of God, which is awesome. I'm having conversations one-on-one with these guys as they go through difficult 
parts and stages of their life. I'm telling you, your gift it needs to be activated in the church, but also activated out there in community because then you become a bridge of God and the glory of God into the house of God. Amen. 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 Awesome.